Welcome to the Larry and Larry podcast. As you can see, I've replaced Tom, and this is a new name of a, of a new show, but I am obviously lying. Uh, it is the United podcast, but Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic has been nice enough to join us. Laurie, welcome to the pub. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being on, mate. Look, we've got a lot to rip through with you. You're obviously well-renowned in all things Manchester United. Um, so I won't waste any time, and I'll try and come to your comments if, if we do have enough time. So let's start with the season so far. Um, what have you made of where United currently sit? In fourth, equal third with Newcastle, uh, nine points off Arsenal. So I'll start with the ambitious question. Are United in a title race? And if they're not in a title race, how do you summarise the season as we approach the halfway mark? Yeah, until last night, I would have said no. And the only reason why I say perhaps they are in a title race is because Arsenal haven't got the uh, history, the credentials that Man City have um, You know, for, for winning a title. They've not been here previously um, in many, many years. Um, so you kind of look at that situation and think, okay, nine points is a surmountable uh, gap. They've already, you know, United have already beaten Arsenal at Old Trafford. They've got them coming up in January. I mean, these two next games for United will, will decide, won't they? I mean, if they somehow come away with two victories against Man City and Arsenal in the league, then yeah, it's 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 right on. Um, if they, you know, lose one, draw a couple, you know, probably you're thinking, okay, it's it's too soon. I mean, it'd be way ahead of schedule for United to even be close to the top spot, given where they were last season. Um, but Eric Ten Hag's come in, instilled a lot of discipline, and he's getting results out of it recently. Absolutely. Uh, can I ask you, who has been the most impressive player for United this season? Uh, obviously, we, we've seen really impressive signings and outings and Casemiro and Ericsson, um, but then you look further up the pitch and Marcus Rashford looks unrecognisable to the player we saw in the preceding 18 months. But who's been your player of the season so far? I probably would say Rashford, um, just for the fact that he can change games uh, more frequently. Um, he seems like he's going into matches now wanting to decide the outcome of them. Um, certainly when he came on at Wolves, he looked like he had real determination. Obviously, he'd slightly overslept for a meeting, so he was dropped from the lineup. but he reacted to it really well. And he was the difference maker in that game. And it was three points, ultimately, you know, two more than they were going to get. Um, so I'd probably say him. Um, obviously, you know, Casemiro has been magnificent and he's probably changed the dynamic of what a United team can produce. Um, Christian Eriksen's been been superb as well, particularly set-piece deliveries, you know, again, uh, last night with the free kick for, for Casemiro. Um, fantastic delivery. His corners also, you know, United have scored from. Um, so that they've been brilliant additions in central midfield. But I would probably say just for the for the fact that he is scoring goals, he looks like a renewed character. Um, Marcus Rashford is, is my player of the season so far. 12 goals. Uh, and his greatest record for United is 21, I believe, in 1920. So let's see if he can surpass that, Marcus Rashford. Uh, let's move on to the manager. All these players perform, I suppose, because of uh, or for Eric Ten Hag. Um, you've obviously, you, you met him at his first press conference, the unveiling. Um, what, what were your first impressions um, of the Dutchman? Uh, what, how did you find his demeanour? And I suppose the, the man in the press conference, have you had any personal interaction with him? And does he differ too much from the, the stone-faced or sort of dry humour guy we see in the presser? Yeah, unfortunately, not had um, sort of personal interaction with him aside from, you know, those little moments before and after press conferences where you can kind of get a little gauge of them. I mean, what one thing that he does do is he looks 
everyone in the eye when he when he answers them and he, he kind of scans the room before he starts speaking to sort of gauge who's there and he, he certainly recognizes people in the press conference room um he did do uh, a long session with the media that went out to spain recently you know for the two friendlies um unfortunately i wasn't there uh, we had andy mitten go for us instead um and it sounded like he was on great form there you know i think they had a few drinks and uh, a bit of lunch as well so it was more of a relaxed atmosphere and and you know, the people that were over there and came back and said, yeah, you know, you could see that he was settled in into being Manchester United manager because I think actually his first press conference at Old Trafford when he was, you know, unveiled and it was the end of the last season, it was, um, his English wasn't as fluid as I thought it might be. Uh, and that had been one of the, the criticisms from, you know, his interview at Tottenham or uh, even during the United process where, you know, people felt that um, his English could have been better. Um, and I was a little bit uncertain as to how that would actually shake out um, but in fairness, he's been, I think, really good in press conferences. His English is fantastic and he says things. He doesn't waste his words, but he also gives full answers um, and, and quite specific answers. You know, I mean, we asked him mm-hmm. about Ahmad, for example, uh, away at Wolves at Molyneux. And, you know, he could have easily sort of, I guess, brushed off that question. Um, but he actually gave quite a detailed answer as to, yes, he was thinking about recalling him from his loan. Um, but this is why he probably wouldn't. Uh, certainly had reservations about it. And then also why he sent him out on loan in the first place. So I think he's now in a stage where he's, you know, he, he knows he can use press conferences to send messages to players. You know, Alejandro Garnacho was another one early in the season where, you know, he, he didn't give an easy answer of, of saying, yes, he's a great young player, etc. He said, actually, there was moments in pre-season tour that I wasn't happy with. So, yeah, I, I've been really encouraged by him. And I think he's really settling into the role of United manager now. Just want to touch on something you said there that, that resonated with me. I, I think back, I believe it was the press conference after the Burnley game uh, where he he challenged Marcus Rashford to score 20 goals in the Premier League. And it's perhaps coincidental, but perhaps it's not where Rashford has now scored every single game since hmm. those comments. So uh, definitely something in Ten Hag being fruitful and maybe he's doing that with his players. On that aspect... What's been the most impressive thing that you've seen from Ten Hag, whether it be tactical, man management or, or something else? Um, I think his decisiveness. Um, I think certainly um, in you know previous uh, years, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer probably wasn't that strong at being... He did have a ruthless edge to him, but there was a lot of players that were kept around just in case uh, and... There was decisions made, you know, often in matches, he wouldn't make substitutions. And, and I feel like certainly under Ralph Rangnick, there was there was all kinds of stuff going on where it was kind of chaotic and, and you know, players didn't know which way um, to look um, and you know, what, you know, what the path forward was going to be. Whereas Ten Hag has clearly got um, a plan in his mind, uh, a way of achieving that. It is built around discipline and it's not just the you know timekeeping aspect of it that clearly you know Rashford fell foul of and I think Garnacho maybe and, and then other players at, at different points um, but it's also the fact that that then translates on the pitch so if he's asking a player to back up uh, another player when he makes a certain run or you know press as a as a whole as a team um, certainly that was one of the issues he had with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, which is probably the biggest uh, example of Ten Hag having a certain way of thinking and, and carrying it out, actually, you know, even if it's to the detriment of the, of the squad where, you know, he could rely on Ronaldo to come on and score a goal or two. He, he's thought, actually, no, for the long-term benefit, better to get him out and, you know, and not take any money for him. Um, so I think that that's the, 
that's the key pillar. You know, he has a plan and he's going to carry it through. And, and he can be quite blunt. He's he's wanted characters in the dressing room, though. That's one of his main things in recruitment side of um, of the job so far that he's asked for, and that players that can take criticism on the chin and react well. So as you were saying, Larry, you know, with with Rashford, um, clearly he's he's kind of given him that belief to respond. You know, not not shy away from a challenge, but, but come back at come back at him and say, okay, yeah, I, I will prove that I'm, I can score twenty goals in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, transfers. And you, you allude to Ronaldo, who's obviously now left the club in unsacramentous circumstances, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, United have been linked with Jao Felix. Uh, obviously not the prototype number nine that I think most United fans would be looking for, uh, but a very technically gifted player and perhaps someone that some might say could be deployed in a false nine. I, I personally don't see it. Uh, in, in terms of you, you've got your ear close to the ground at Old Trafford, do you see anything in, in the Jao Felix loan option? And if you do, do you think it's a good option? Uh, and then the second part of that question is, if not Jao Felix, then do you expect anyone to come in in January? Yeah, then who? <laughs> um, yeah, Jao Felix certainly is someone that they've had conversations about. Um, I mean, you know, he's being shot around Europe because he's had a, a fallout with Diego Simeone, um, although I, I think he started... Uh, and scored the other the other day, so uh, maybe it's something that can be you know resolved, or you know that kind of creative friction sometimes bears fruit, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, he is Atletico are looking at a way that they can you know uh, allow his wages to be taken off the books. Um, but that's the issue with United, where I think they're looking for a loan fee. We reported this week of um, sixteen million euro uh, with uh, wages on top of that of like five million euro for for six months, which is a lot of money for a temporary uh, move. Um, and as you say, is he actually the the kind of player that United need? You know, does he float to that left hand side that is the preference for a lot of the players already in the squad? Um, I, I do think that Ten Hag would Ten Hag certainly wants a player in there. And whether he looks at Jao Felix and says he's clearly a quality player, you know, his talent is undeniable. Um, could could he manage to get him into a system where he, he does play as that kind of false nine? I mean, Marshall was dropping quite deep uh, last night. I thought against. Uh, Bournemouth so you know it, it wouldn't be too dissimilar maybe to that um, and, and he kind of kick, picks the ball up and, and runs with it as well and you can see him you know in, interlocking with the other United forwards quite well um, but yeah it's a money thing and at the moment at those figures it's, it's off the table um, but as, yeah as you say Ten Hag certainly he said it publicly that he wants a, a striker in um, I don't think he would just take any striker um, I think he'd so that's why it could come down to United. Maybe they don't actually do anything in the end. You know, if he if they think that there's not really the, the right kind of player out there, then that they are, I believe, okay at kind of just letting the window go without making a signing. Um, but I think that I think that Tenag is appreciative of the fact that you know they they need more support up up front. You know, they're having to kind of bring on Anthony Alanga and, and shift Rashford into that centre forward role. Um, so it's not an ideal situation. Um, Memphis Depay is one that they had talks with last summer. Um, he's obviously got uh, six months left on his deal at Barcelona, so he would be, you'd think, a low-cost option. Um, and you know, I- I'm sure that Ten Hag would appreciate his qualities. You know, he's- he started for Holland at the World Cup. You know, um, so whether that's somebody that they actually look at, you know, as the window goes on, it'd be interesting to know. But I think that um, I-, I think that United's position in the league might influence what they do because at the moment they are you know as you say joint third if they actually get close to some kind of title challenge say they go and beat City and Arsenal it might be that they can kind of make a 
a plea to Joel Glazer to say, actually, release some funds now because you know, we're right in the mix here. Um, the alternative would be, obviously, if they sort of slip out of the top four and then it's like you know a chance to try and get back into the Champions League places. But it seems like they're, they're quite in a good position right now. Um, and obviously, the, the broader picture to all this is the takeover, is the, is the sale talks. Um, my belief was that they might spend money now in January if they thought the club was going to be mm. sold because it would be the next person's issue to kind of pick up the tab because it would just be on the, you know, the company credit card. Um, but they obviously didn't go for Cody Gakpo based on finances. So it's a, it's a sort of question mark as to where that's all at right now. Laurie, I want to continue on that point. If I look at Liverpool, who are also up for sale, have been willing to spend the money on Gakpo, are we seeing two alternative approaches here where one club is saying, actually, don't worry about it, we're, we're going to spend the funds because it's not going to be a problem and, and a, a club ultimately in the Champions League is more attractive than one that's not. Uh, are we just seeing, is, is it as clear-cut as this is two alternative approaches uh, or, or is there something a little bit more depth than that? Yeah. I suppose there's a couple of points. Um, Liverpool are obviously further off the Champions League places, lost again at Brentford, didn't they? So they might be looking at it, and particularly Jurgen Klopp's status at the club. He can kind of push harder, can't he, to say, listen, if you give me these players, I will make it happen for us, whatever we want. You know, Luis Diaz last January came in and, and transformed their chances. You know, they almost won the Champions League. Um, so I think he will probably be advocating for that. Um, and yeah, the fact that they seem like they're more in need than Manchester United right now and also I mean you can still question how he might fit into that Liverpool front line but from a United perspective Gakpo yeah played up front for Holland at the World Cup but really his best position again is that left-hand side uh, I saw him uh, play for PSV against Ajax on our trip to Qatar and um, he very much was on the wings it wasn't a you know centre-forward um, uh, sort of position that he was occupying so and, and Liverpool actually do need that kind of you know figure you know with Diogo Diogo Jota being injured, um, Luis Diaz being injured, so he you can see how he would fit in there um, better than he probably would do at Manchester United. I'm going to amalgamate these two points together in terms of transfers and the Glazers. Uh, in their original statement back in November, uh, they did refer to a potential partial sale with regards to shares and investment, um, and also referred to a full sale. Um, do you think a partial sale is a possibility uh, at this point? Or, I mean, everyone, I think all fans, are, they just really latched onto that full sale. Yeah. But if we actually saw how the Glazers took over, they had partial investment and then eventually took over the club. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of now whether there's any developments or not, do you see that as a possibility or, or do you think the Glazers are pretty much banking on a full sale? No, I, I think that, it, you know, I think they would, Joel and Avram, I think, Joel maybe less so. I hear things that he's actually okay with a full sale now, um, but which is kind of odd because he's the most involved Glazer sibling. Um, Avram's has been involved, but he's he's not the one that's talking to John Murta and Richard Arnold every day about you know the prospects of the club. Um, but he is he has been in Qatar uh, as we reported. Uh, Adam Leventhal managed to nab him outside the Morocco France semi final and ask him about the sale. And Avram Glazer was actually you know. Adam asked him about the sale and he said, oh, it might not necessarily be a sale, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, mm. correction from his uh, point of view. And I think he's still out in Doha, actually. or He has been recently um, talking to people. So um, I think and the original point of this last summer was that he and Joel went to Apollo uh, for finance to try and buy out their other four siblings. So it's been kind of a long-standing thing, really, where the other four siblings actually want out of Manchester United. 
so they were looking at it thinking, well, if we can raise funds to buy their shares, then we can stay on and, and maybe the, the other investor can kind of be, you know, not in control, uh, but we can have a shared ownership. I mean, I'm still sceptical that anybody out there would accept the Glazers keeping control of the club um, for however much money they're going to have to put in, because it'd be a lot of money, you know, maybe a billion pounds um, to buy out the other four siblings. Uh, and that's even before you get to the need, absolutely essential need for money to revamp the stadium and the training ground, which is going to be a huge bill. Um, so, I, you know, that is something that's on the cards. It's not it's not a full sale or nothing. That That is a, the middle ground that I think Joel and Avram would be open to. But whether or not that's a, a realistic proposition, I, I really don't know. And that's not including player transfers. Yeah. And God knows that there'd be an absolute meltdown if we didn't sign anyone in the summer, let alone January. Um, let's move on to yourself. Uh, you're obviously a journalist and you're well-renowned in world football now. I obviously met you in Melbourne in Manchester United's pre-season tour. Can I say, I do enjoy, uh, your choice of alcohol is similar to mine and it's <laughs> nice to meet someone who doesn't necessarily revert to beer. So despite the show being called a United podcast, thanks for enjoying a cocktail or two. Like. <laughs> um, but what does a typical week look like for yourself? Um, well, so those matches, it all hinges around matches. So we kind of deba- debate who goes to which games. Um, and then there's always stuff going on with United. It's such a big club. And even the kind of, you know, smallest, most nuanced story um, fans are interested in because it's got global supporter, um, global supporters. Um, so, yeah, I kind of would have a look at the stories that are ongoing. Um, we have the kind of big set pieces that we do as well. So there's one that I've got going on at the moment that should be coming out next week, hopefully. Um, and that's a case of ringing people just to sort of say, listen, I'm, I'm looking into this aspect of United. You know, can you can you tell me anything? Um, and, you know, you have that kind of conversation. <laughs> and then it's also trying to build up more contact. So finding numbers for people that you think, okay, they could be interesting people to get to know a little bit. Uh, making that call, introducing yourself, seeing you know if they're open to chatting, um, and and just keeping on top of everything. You know, obviously I go on like, Twitter every day and and see what stories are coming out, and then try and chase up ones that I maybe haven't seen myself first off. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great job. It's a real collaborative thing as well. Like we've got a great team at the Athletic of editors and other uh, reporters um, who are really supportive, and we can have a consistent dialogue. Uh, and the games are fantastic to go to. I mean, particularly at Old Trafford when the mood's up. And I know you came over, didn't you, over the the uh, the autumn winter time, um, and so you got you got another taste of it. But it feels like it's it's building, you know, a good atmosphere at Old Trafford. Um, and then also the talk of devils, yeah. So we kind of try and figure out when we're going to record that. Sometimes it's very late at night. Sometimes um, it's kind of quite early in the morning. Um, but yeah, we try and get. I think we're going back to two a week this this time now. So we, we went on one a week whilst the World Cup was on and Christmas was over. So, uh, yeah, it's lots of different bits, um, but it's like an incredible job. Uh, and I know I'm very privileged and lucky. Can I say that the most pleasing aspect of Talk of the Devils, <laughs> every time I listen to you specifically, you introduce a new word that my vocabulary has never heard of. <laughs> uh, is that something you do intentionally? I have to ask because y- you pull out all these words and I find myself asking Siri while I'm driving <laughs> what a certain word means. Do- do they actually match up though? Because I'm always scared of like throwing out, and I'm going to use a word here, malapropism, which is when I, uh, I I use a word that isn't quite what I intend it to be. It sounds quite similar to what I'm meaning it to be. So I don't know. Have you ever checked it out and thought that isn't what he means there? Or do I usually uh, hit the mark? 
So far, so good. I always wonder, is he using a big word to, to sound intelligent here? But so far, <laughs> you're hitting 100%. So good well, work. I've got to say, there was one where you were referring to Malaysia with Ten Hag and you said fidelity. And I right. said, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think so that was okay. Yeah, I think that was okay. It's, so, I mean, I did English at university. So um, I, I generally don't try and do it because... Um, I know I'm going to slip up one of these days. It just, but these words sometimes pop into my head and I, I just say them. So I appreciate that you like it, Larry. Hopefully I can keep it going. If you get it wrong, I'll definitely call yeah, you out on call it. Call me up, yeah. Uh, what's the weirdest experience you've had as a journalist, whether it be an interview or any any walk that you've come across? Um, weird. I mean, there's there's a story that goes back to when I was a news reporter for the Daily Mail. Uh, is that or do you want a sports one? Because that can be any. You're happy with anything. So like when I was uh, a so I was on news for like a month at the Daily Mail when I first started out, like back in 2011. So I always know when a couple of people died because I had to do kind of death knocks for them, uh, and one of them was Lucian Freud, who was the um the, the famous artist who you know is a descendant of Sigmund Freud the, you know the famous psychologist mm. and they the Daily Mail asked me to go and find his brother Lucian Freud's brother who um, hadn't actually spoken to him for like 10 years um but you know knock on his door and see if he wanted to say anything about his brother who just died so I went over to his house uh and sort of knocked on and then I, I, no answer but I could hear someone um in the garden doing some work and it was his wife and she came round uh, and I said oh you know this is what I'm doing do you mind if I maybe speak to his brother and she was like oh yeah no problem come in he's, he's not very well but you know go upstairs he's, he's in his bed so like <laughs> I uh so I went and sort of sat on the edge of his bed and he was he was in bed he was an old man himself uh, and I was kind of like trying to introduce myself and explain why I was there and, and thinking maybe he might say some nice things about his brother even though they're not spoken for 10 years um, and uh, it, it, he was not great at communication. You know, he was old. I, I felt really awkward. I was like, this is, this is okay. I, I've, I've intruded too much here. Um, but I'd heard that he was big into horse racing um, before going over there. So I brought the Daily Mail and the, and the racing pages. So I said to him, you know, before I go, I don't know if this is any interest to you, but here, here's the tips for the day uh, from the Daily Mail. And as soon as he saw that, he bounded up out of bed, was all of a sudden massively engaged. <laughs> Uh, and then we, we kind of continued the conversation for a bit, a little bit longer and, you know, kind of got a little bit of uh, colour for, for the uh, for the feature that I was trying to feed into. Um, in the end, they actually didn't use any of that stuff anyway. So <laughs> it's kind of a wasted journey. But one of those experiences where you kind of feel like, you know, try a little bit, risk a little bit, put you out of your comfort zone. But, you know, it can actually be quite a, a warming um, encounter in the end. 100%. Uh, and I felt awkward while you were telling the story. So I can only imagine how you felt. Um, what is the key to being a successful journalist? Hard work, perseverance, a uh, bit of a thick skin. You get told no a lot. So um, particularly in, in sport, like, you know, if you're calling up someone for the first time, um, you know, they what, what, what do they have to speak to you about? You know, they can just say no. Um, I'm in obviously a lucky position where, the athletic has a platform now and you know some people might know who i am if i'm speaking to them and they certainly know the profile of, of the athletic and you know the, the kind of reason why we're trying to get in touch um but yeah hard work creativity um just sort of thinking about things having that human touch i would say as well um you know we're all of a level you know we all we all born we all die so if you can kind of you know just speak to people as you would like to be spoken to obviously being polite but you know having a 
a drive behind what you're trying to do, then um, that's that's been successful for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a hard job, and I would just say, you know, it obviously has massive privileges as well, particularly in, in football. You know, being at the edge of these um, incredible moments, but um, certainly it does take a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And and I would just say, yeah, keep keep going all the time. Don't don't give up, and you know, just be personable to people, but also have an idea clear in your mind as to what you're trying to achieve from each conversation. Good advice for anyone who's listening who wants to be a journalist. You're listening to one of the best, particularly when it comes to Manchester United. Uh, do you have a favourite interview or, or experience that you've had so far in your career? Um, oh, God, interview. Uh, there's been quite a few. I mean, I really enjoy interviews where you can just be yourself totally. Um, so... Uh, I, always, I did an interview with Eric Steele that I tweeted the other day, actually, um, who was United's goalkeeping coach, and he's just a brilliant guy. Like, he's this Geordie in his 60s, seen it all, done it all, um, has a great way about him. And we, we, it was in 2019 when I first started, and I got to know him a little bit when he was at Derby um, under Steve McLaren, actually, um, when I was in the Midlands uh, doing Daily Mail work there. So uh, he was one of the first people that I, I called when I got the United job at the Athletic and said, would you be up for doing a proper interview? Because I knew he had some stories and I think he gets asked quite a lot, um, but I've somehow managed to get a really nice relationship with him where he you know, will, will say, yeah, no problem um, uh, to, to, to a few things. But this one was like a, a good set piece interview. So we went to a pub um, and we spoke about all different manner of things, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, really interesting stuff about how, he would, um, you know, do a crossword from the Times on the way down from from Manchester to London on the train. Get all his staff members to kind of chip in answers if he didn't know, and then you know call them all peasants if they didn't give the right answer, and then <laughs> call up Tony Blair or Gordon Brown or whoever was the PM at the time to to get him an answer, which is just like this kind of crazy scenario. But you know, I loved it, and and Eric was was great at telling it as well. Um, and then perhaps one more. There's probably loads that I've forgotten, but. Chris Coleman was a great one as well, uh, uh, Wales manager. And we, we sat down after, a few years after he'd done, um, he got Wales to the semi-finals of the uh, Euro, uh, Euro 2016. And again, he was just, you know, someone that you could have a laugh with. He spoke about his experiences in China, Sunderland. He was on that Netflix documentary where he kind of had a bit of a set to with a fan outside. And, you know, he, I, I like people that can kind of laugh at themselves a little bit. And he was a serious guy and he, he, he you know, get on the wrong side of him and I think he could put you in um, your place but at the same time he was also a genuine football guy and a really warm person and yeah they were two that kind of come to my mind straight away okay if you could have a dream guest anyone player celebrity whatever it might be you get one dream guest but whoever it is has to sit with you for one hour who would be that person it's got to be Sir Alex hasn't it I think um yeah I know it's obvious I've, I've just never I, I think I was part of a mix zone with him once like a, a Monday section after a press conference at a, a, a game maybe at Aston Villa but it's like a real I'm not even sure for sh- that it happened <laughs> it's one of these your mind plays tricks on you uh, but yeah I never had the opportunity to you know get a hairdryer off him where he would swipe the dictaphones off the table you know Danny Taylor who's a colleague of mine um, had many uh, episodes where you know Sir Alex would would show that kind of uh, fierce side um, but I would just love you know an hour to kind of pick his brains and ask him so many different things he's probably answered everything that he's ever going to answer but um, you know I, I was there as a fan growing up watching his teams play 
99 in the new camp and Villa Park and I just love to kind of share maybe some of my experiences with him and, and see if he'd heard these stories before and then he you know I, I just I just pepper him with questions um you know so yeah the great man it has to be so Alex I mean I, I'd have to say the same uh we're boring people I suppose <laughs> um I do have a question from my co-host Tom so I will shoot that to you uh the recent report around Ten Hag having control over the under 23s um do you think that's something he naturally wanted or, or is that a bit of a foresight in terms of having limited funds in the transfer window? Um, yeah, so it's a, got a bit of nuance to it, this one. Um, so th- I think the quotes came out in Verbal International about a month ago um, and then got uh, found uh, for the English media and then we, we picked them up as well. Um, uh, and it's not that he is in charge of the, of the selections as such. You know, He's not going to be there at Lee Sports Village kind of making the subs and, and picking the formation. But he obviously has um, oversight and recommendations for which players should be training with him, which should be with the 21s and on the 18s. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the Travis Binion and, and Mark Dempsey, the managers of those age groups, can, can kind of decide after that. Um, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, to be fair, I think, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had a, a fair degree of oversight. You know, if he wanted to play a training with him, um, for a certain week or certain day, then then that could happen. Um, but Ten Hag clearly, in the quotes that he's you know given to um, Verbal International, has expressed how important he feels that is to get a cohesive um, academy into the first team. I think I, I interviewed John Heitinger over at Ajax, who's um, in charge of their uh, 21s team, and they're actually in the second division in in Holland. So they have a it's a more competitive level that they're playing at and therefore the jump to first team isn't as big I think Ten Hag is trying to close that gap so if he wants you know Reese Bennett training with the first team uh, one week and then being on the bench for the first team or Kobe Mino who was on the bench at at Molyneux um, he can get gets a better understanding of where they're at and if they can actually step in to the first team Um, but yeah I mean as we spoke up with Ahmad you know he obviously sent him on loan so there's other ways that he feels like you know players can get uh, men's um, experiences but I think that's a key to it all really he wants to kind of bridge that gap between the 21s and the first team yeah I mean I think that's refreshing to hear as a United fan you want to see that tradition of youth players being groomed for the first team and it's nice to see that the manager does have a bit of a plan in place yeah, I do sure. have a final question for you but before I get to that question uh, Laurie where can people find your content or or, or get in touch with you or interact with your, your work uh, yeah, the Athletic is obviously the main place. Um, you can always comment as well. Um, it gets a bit feisty in there, but feel free to uh, let loose. Uh, obviously, within the uh, T's and C's, um, you can always reply to me on Twitter. I do check occasionally, but the, I get so many um, that I, I, I'm not. I don't like necessarily see everybody's reply. Uh, and then some people get in touch with me on Instagram. Actually, um, again, I, I get quite a few. So I, sorry if I do miss any, but. Um, quite a few people have, have got in touch with me on Instagram and I've, I've been able to reply. Uh, one guy actually yesterday said he was going to the ground with his wife and two young children um, and he wanted to check what time the players arrived at so he could kind of get there in advance. And, and they have been arriving quite early. I think I said three hours to him. I think I was okay. I think they were there in enough time. Um, so yeah, th- there's, there's different ways, but yeah, I appreciate everybody that follows and, and says nice things. Even the people that say, you know, um, criticisms you know I take them on board if they're said in a certain way I appreciate that like I say we've got a really privileged job here and um, I'm not in this ivory tower kind of you know passing my opinion down it's very much a 
you know, a, a, a global game, isn't it, where people have different opinions. So I'm, I'm all for people giving me theirs. Absolutely. I mean, Sydney to Manchester right now. So case in point, um, and, and I, I will leave a link in the description for The Athletic if you do want to subscribe along with uh, all of Laurie's social media accounts. So if you do want to follow Laurie, make sure you do look in the description below. Uh, Laurie, my final question to you, where will United finish this season? Uh, will they win a trophy? And tell me why. I think they might win a trophy, you know. I mean, the Carabao Cup is looking appealing. Uh, Charlton Athletic in the quarterfinals and then... You know, you you could bat them to actually on a one-off day beat any team left in that competition. So maybe that, and I think Tenaga's got a real steeliness about him in that regard, and he's won trophies at Ajax. So you know, you know, in those finals, in those sort of moments, and this is perhaps something that Solskjaer didn't quite get to grips with, and it's something that Gareth Southgate maybe as well. You could you could um, point in his direction, making those key decisions at crucial moments to change the flow of a game. I think Ten Hag can do that. He's, he's very quick at detecting what he wants to do and, and, and making that change. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they could win a trophy this season. Premier League, probably third, because you think that City are, they know how they you know, they know how to get results. They're yeah. in a slightly strange moment with Erling Haaland, just adjusting to him, but they've got such talent and abundance and Pep Guardiola has been there and done it. And then Arsenal do seem, you know, really, you know, um, I don't know, really solid this season. So maybe they just pick United. Okay, there you have it. Well, that's been a pleasure. Cheers, Laurie. Uh, if you do enjoy the video, make sure you do hit a like. And if you are new, make sure you do subscribe. Lots of content coming your way, but I hope you have all enjoyed that chat. Laurie, pleasure, mate. And, uh, Absolute we'll pleasure, Laurie. Thanks in. for having me on. Yeah. Yes.